0: Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full-screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com Marquee.
1: Hi, Kit. Hey, Rachel. Kit Fox, reporter for Runner's World, is with me today because together we're going to tell the story of a soap opera.
2: Or I guess in the running world, uh, something close to it.
1: The story has all the elements. There's lying, cheating, concealed identities, death threats.
2: Public shaming, reputations ruined, a runner banned from a race for life. But also, uh, spreadsheets.
1: I can't remember the last time I saw a spreadsheet in a soap opera.
2: Okay, so the spreadsheets might be unique to this particular story, but they still play an important part.
1: I love a good spreadsheet story.
2: It didn't start with spreadsheets. It started, like, so many things in life, uh, with a Facebook post gone viral.
1: You might remember the headlines. See this dad's powerful response to principal over his kids' absence from school. Articles popped up on the Today Show blog, Philadelphia Magazine.
2: So here's the gist. In 2015, this dad pulls his two kids out of school for a few days for a trip to Boston. That's because this dad's a runner and he's going to run the Boston Marathon. So the dad notifies the school that his kids will be gone. But in response, the principal writes the parents just like this standard letter. I'm going to paraphrase it here, but basically the principal writes, I want you to be aware that this school district does not recognize family trips as excused absences. The absences will be unexcused. If the kids continue to have unexcused absences, it will result in a referral to an attendance officer.
1: This letter, it did not change the dad's mind. He took his kids with him to Boston. In fact, they'd already gone to Boston. And the marathon dad...
2: The dad's name is Mike Rossi.
1: He's proud that his kids got to see him run. The Boston Marathon is a very prestigious race, and he's proud of all the things his family saw and experienced in the city. So he decides to post the principal's letter to Facebook alongside his response. And I won't read the whole thing here, but uh, I'll read the first few lines. He writes, Dear Madame Principal, While I appreciate your concern for our children's education, I can promise you they learned as much in the five days they were in Boston as they would in an entire year in school. Our children had a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience, one that can't be duplicated in a classroom or read in a book. They learned about dedication, commitment, love, perseverance, overcoming adversity, civic pride, patriotism, American history, culinary arts, and physical education. And it goes on from there.
2: So this letter was posted in April 2015, right after the Boston Marathon. A runner named Tony Rigdon from Missouri heard about the letter on the radio.
3: At first, I was, you know, I thought it was actually a pretty cool deal. You know, there was part of me that was kind of like, yeah, kudos to this guy for standing up to the, you know, bureaucracy of the school system, you know, or... The zero tolerance for, you know, allowing your kids to take a vacation type thing.
1: You'll hear a bit more from him later. His response to the letter was pretty typical of the posts on our Runner's World forum. There was a thread titled, I'd like to buy Mike Rossi a beer. In this moment, there was online interest, but no real scandal. However, this viral post, it set the stage for a feud worthy of a television soap opera plot.
2: Because the next thing that happens... The whole thing derails. A dad with seemingly pure intentions turns into a disgraced pariah in the running world. And it sets off an unlikely chain of events. Runners are retroactively disqualified from races. A mom with a blog is attacked by a vicious online mob. And we find out that running, this simple act of putting one foot in front of the other, it's got a dark underbelly with villains and vigilantes.
1: But this is not your classic good versus evil storyline. In this soap opera's wreckage, a massive gray area where it's hard to tell who is the villain and who is the victim. I'm Rachel Swaby.
2: And I'm Kit Fox.
1: And this is Human Race. In each episode of Human Race, we tell a story about runners and the world of running. Today, how one viral Facebook post kicked off a wave of controversy, and how that controversy turned into a movement.
2: It's a movement of at-home vigilante race investigators that are changing the way we police marathons.
1: By exposing runners who haven't followed the rules, online, for everyone to see.
2: For better, or for worse.
1: And to understand how we got from marathon dad to vigilante race investigators, We have to go back.
2: Back to that initial Facebook post. Just five days after the post went viral, reactions to Rossi's letter turned from admiration to outrage.
1: How quickly our online emotions change.
2: As the likes and national news attention streamed in, someone got curious about Mike Rossi's race history. It's important to point out here that most of your race results these days are public and searchable online. In Rossi's case, something about his times just didn't smell quite right. At 6:50 pm. on May 3rd, 2015, a user going by the handle Gatorade and Vodka," posted a new thread on Let'srun.com. Let's Run, of course, is the popular anonymous messaging board that covers all things running. It was titled, "Did Mike Rossi, viral Marathon Dad, cheat his way into Boston?"
1: Here's Robert Johnson, the co-founder of Let's Run.
4: I remember like scrolling down and just reading it and like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then you're kind of just trying to figure out, you know, does this make sense? And I want to say before I even got to the bottom of the first page, I was like, this guy cheated. Um, And, you know, that was my gut instinct.
2: Mike had his own running blog and frequently posted his workouts. His time seemed pretty consistent, except for one exceptionally fast race.
1: The 2014 Lehigh Valley Health Network Marathon in Pennsylvania. From here on out, we're going to call it the VIA Marathon. The results show that Mike finished the VIA Marathon in 3 hours, 11 minutes, and 45 seconds. That time qualified him for Boston.
2: And so just to compare, he qualified with a 3.11.45 time. He finished Boston in four hours, two minutes and 17 seconds. That's almost two minutes per mile slower. And the races are just six months apart. That's a huge difference in such a short amount of time.
1: In his other marathons, Mike came nowhere near the pace he ran at Via. These details, all of them were picked apart by the Let's Run posters.
2: And they also looked through race photographs, or I guess I should say the lack of race photographs, because during the Via Marathon, Mike Rossi doesn't show up in any of the race photos, save for the finish.
1: So just to explain here, most marathons employ photographers to capture runners on the course. Side note here, my personal pet peeve is that no matter how fast I'm running, it always looks like both feet are on the ground in these race photos. Anyways, my fault, not the photographers. The idea is that the runners might want to buy these photos after the race. The key here is that the pictures are publicly available.
2: But for Mike at Via, he's the only runner who doesn't show up in race photos in some locations. And we know this because the Let's Run community mobilized to meticulously comb through the thousands of photos taken by official photographers at the race.
1: Okay, so it seems like the Let's Run community had a big pile of evidence pointing to Mike's guilt. But Mike did offer a few explanations. He told the press and posted on his own personal blog that he was running Boston injured. He had a torn gluteus on his left side, and he later found out he had a stress fracture on his right hip. He also says that he does have photos of himself on the course, but he hasn't shown any of them publicly. They weren't taken by the official photographers.
2: Right, but back to the point of all this. The allegation on Let's Run was that Mike, he cut the course to qualify for Boston.
1: And let's talk about Boston for a minute, because Boston, it isn't just any other race. The Boston Marathon is widely considered the most prestigious race you can run. It's the oldest marathon in America and the hardest to get into. To get in, you have to qualify. And that means running very fast in another marathon before you can even be considered. Times are based on gender and age, and they're tough.
2: There's a reason why the race's mascot is a unicorn. For most runners, it's the bucket list race.
1: Mike was 47 at the time. In order to qualify, he needed to run a marathon in 3 hours and 25 minutes or faster. The question was, if Mike did cheat, how did he do it?
2: Right. Basically, so the theory goes, it really wouldn't be that hard to just start the race and then jump in a car and then jump back on and finish the race. Now, there are these things called chip timing mats, and they're activated when a runner passes over them. Usually they're spaced out at several locations along the course. But in 2014 at the Via Marathon, when Mike ran, the mats were only installed at the start and the finish line. So there's no way to see if Mike ran past, say, like, the 17-mile mark on the course.
1: Except, of course, for the official marathon photos. And Mike does not appear in any of those in the middle of the race.
2: And so it begins.
1: It's been a year and a half, and the forum is still active. Unbelievably, the posts just keep on coming. There are 1,284 pages of discussion at last count. Over 25,000 posts. It's become the largest Let's Run thread in the site's 16-year history. But why? Why? Mike is by no means the first person accused of cheating in a race. And it's not like he claimed victory either. He was one runner in a sea of 20,000 other Boston Marathon runners. Why the long lasting vitriol?
2: Well, so there's a couple of theories here. Here's one from Robert, the Let's Run co-founder.
4: America is a very forgiving place. I mean, we no one's perfect, whether it's the president of the United States or your Starbucks barista. We all make mistakes and I think people will forgive you your mistakes. But when it's like when you're caught and then you deny it, you know, it's like Richard Nixon. The cover up is always worse than the crime. OK, but it's also the context of Mike's post. This guy's calling out the principal and he's teaching his kids, you know, lifelong lessons about, bots, you know, being an American and patriotism. <laughs> Yet, the whole thing is based on a lie and a fraud. I mean, it's like so, I mean, uh, you know, it's like almost unbelievable. It's like, wait a minute.
2: Even even hearing you you talk about it like I just hear in your voice you're getting like a little worked up. I mean, did he piss you off?
4: Yeah, he did. I mean I I was hoping that he would just admit to it. But then I I think the reason why it's going on and on and on is the fact that he's dug his heels in and just keeps denying it.
1: With neither side budging, all the voices got louder. The back and forth between Mike and his online detractors, it moved beyond your routine online trolling.
3: My name's uh, Tony Rigdon, I'm from Columbia, Missouri.
2: Tony's a runner and a triathlete who heard about Mike's letter to the principal on the radio. During the time that all this Marathon Dad stuff was going down, Tony was injured. He had a back problem that sidelined him. It kept him from training and competing. So what do you do when you can't run? Well, you think about running. So Tony started spending a lot of time on the Let's Run forums, particularly on the Marathon Dad thread.
1: Tony started participating in the forum's investigation. He even posted a video to YouTube that exhaustively went through the race photos at Mike's Boston qualifier race, the VIA Marathon. But that video Tony posted, it caught Mike's attention.
3: At that point, uh, Mike Rossi, um, so it was a series of two tweets, and the first tweet was um, from the movie Taken.
2: That's a scene where Liam Neeson is on the phone.
3: He basically says,
5: I will look for you. I will find you,
3: and I will kill you. I will find you, and I will kill you. And so it was that it was a tweet with that clip, and then shortly after, another tweet went out. It was a photo of me taken after a pretty horrific uh, triathlon triathlon accident where I was hit by a van. So I'm in a hospital bed; and my face is really beaten up, and it just said, "This guy dot dot dot."
1: The picture is horrific. Tony is in the hospital, but he's smiling, and the oxygen tube is hanging all crooked off his face. Several of his front teeth are sheared off. His left eye is swollen, and it it does not open all the way. He's got stitches from his eyebrow to his temple.
3: It's not like, you know, that's my profile photo on Facebook. So he obviously had dug through my Facebook account and found this info about me and then tweeted it.
1: Remember, this is the same guy who wrote a letter to his kid's principal espousing the values of, and I will quote his letter again, dedication, commitment, love, perseverance.
2: Tony wasn't the first or the last person to provoke the marathon dad. Mike threatened legal action and bodily harm on a number of posters who spoke up about him.
1: But we should note that Mike was also getting harassed. Online, but also in the real world. People called his work, and they also called people he'd done business with. Someone else knew the exact time and place his wife got on and off the train. At one point, he was forced to call the police after someone threatened to put up posters around his kid's school. We should mention that Mike didn't want to be interviewed for this story, but he did participate in the fact-checking process. A year and a half later, he still emphatically maintains his innocence.
2: And all this back and forth, the accusations, the denials, they just keep getting weirder. There were Facebook groups investigating the event, splinter Facebook groups, threats to secretly record people in a church, on and on and on. And there was even serious money on the line. Robert Johnson, the co-founder of Let's Run, publicly offered Mike $100,000 if Mike could match or better his qualifying time within a year. So if you could run another marathon in three hours and 11 minutes. We reached the deadline this past summer without Mike even trying.
1: For a hundred grand, you could sign me up for any race.
2: And then in the midst of all this insanity, Along came one business analyst in Ohio. He looked at all this online vitriol and saw something that no one else had seen and all the data and all the insults and all the accusations.
1: Something that would turn Mike Rossi's one-man war into a movement with much broader implications for the world of Boston qualifiers. That's after the break.
2: Derek Murphy is a business analyst who lives in Ohio he's an avid runner, but a slow one, which means he doesn't aspire to run Boston because he knows he'll never get in. He's also a self-professed numbers geek.
1: Yeah. Cue the spreadsheets in this soap opera.
2: (laughs) When Derek gets home from work a few times a week, after he puts his kids to bed when the house is quiet, he sits in his recliner, pops open the footrest, and opens his laptop.
5: When I first started running and I would do a spreadsheet and I'd Map out every every mile and you know, how long it took me, and I'd you know chart out and you know see where I'm improving or see where I'm not. And even though I was never very fast, I would still go through that whole process. So I just loved you know staring and you know looking at you know to that level of minutia. Um, so,
2: D- does Excel excite
5: you? <laughs> I, I don't want you to quote me saying that Excel excites me, but, uh, but yeah, I mean I work, yeah, I work in it all the time. I, I can appreciate Excel.
1: I wasn't kidding when I said I love a good spreadsheet story.
2: So Derek, he was following along with the Mike Rossi thing on Let's Run, but it was going in a direction that he found tiring.
5: At that point, I was kind of like, okay, I was kind of burned out. Again, I didn't care so much about that personal stuff. It was interesting. But like, hey, if it's about cheating, how many more Mike Rossies are there out there?
1: How many more Mike Rossies are out there?
5: This question compelled Derek to act. If the
2: Let's Run community could build their case with race data online, Perhaps they could use that data to find other people who may have cheated.
5: So I just searched for a recent marathon and I looked up the results and found somebody who I determined to cut the course within you know, a matter of like two or three minutes.
1: Here's how he does it. Runners have timing chips on their shoes or on their bibs. And these timing chips are important because they register the time when runners cross these timing mats placed throughout the course. For most participants, you get what's called a string of splits. So for me, that would be Rachel crossed the 10k mark at a certain time, the half marathon mark at another time, and the 20 mile mark at another time. And this is all displayed online.
2: Derek started scanning these marathon results and identifying runners with missing splits. So missing a split is not that uncommon, but missing more than one split, it seems suspicious. Say you miss a few timing mats and then show up again at the 20 mile mark. Derek will calculate your pace to see if there's anything fishy.
1: Using Excel spreadsheets!
2: Yeah, exactly! It looks very suspicious if all of a sudden your average pace drops from 8 minutes a mile at the 10k mark to like 5 minutes a mile at the 20 mile mark. And it's suspicious because not many runners can
5: pick up their pace that fast in the middle of the race. It looks like a runner cut the course. And this was pretty easy, and yeah, wow, this was kind of too easy. And if, if I did this in five minutes, I, mean, I thought, was well, why am I the one catching this and not the timing company or the race director?
2: Was there like a satisfaction or an adrenaline rush, like a detective-I-just-cracked-a-case sort of feeling?
5: Uh, yeah, a little bit.
1: Ah, uh, Derek, forever understated.
2: But make no mistake, Derek is a dedicated online sleuth. He'll look up runners' Instagrams, their Twitter, their historical run data, if they've posted it online. He's looking at it. He'll look to see if there were pictures of the runner taken on the course. He'll cross-reference this race result with past race results.
1: Running's own Sherlock
5: Holmes.
2: Yeah, rolled in together with just a little Watson. Because at first he posted his findings on a separate thread on Let's Run,
5: and it was getting you know getting some attention. It was, it was a few pages you know within that evening, um, then it got deleted. Um, So, yeah, with no real reason, okay, why is the Mike Rossi thread allowed to live when all we're doing is giving out information?
1: We contacted Let's Run, and the moderator who deletes posts said that he didn't remember the thread. But he made it clear that he's against, and I quote here, public harassment threads on course cutters. He just doesn't see the point, especially since these were amateur athletes and non-public figures. But Derek didn't need
5: Let's Run. So it was that point where... Somebody, I don't think it was even me originally, came up with the idea of, hey, someone should create a blog to put this stuff on. So,
2: Derek calls his blog Marathon Investigation.
1: Very straightforward.
2: Very Derek. And his first post was on May 17th, 2015, just about a month after this whole marathon dad business went down.
1: The first post on his blog starts off friendly. It goes, Welcome.
5: This blog is meant to be a clearinghouse for information regarding suspected marathon cheats. Comment on a link at the top of the blog if you have identified a potential cheater. The purpose is to investigate alleged marathon cheaters and to provide a central site to place evidence with the goal of dequeuing any cheats as well as deterring future attempts. The purpose is not to call out anyone that misses a mat. If anyone is investigated that is vindicated or that we just can't reach a conclusion on, any accusations will be removed immediately.
2: At first, it was a quiet community. But within a small collective of Mike Rossi obsessives, Marathon Investigation started to make a name for itself. Because here's the thing. For as hard as race directors work to put on great events for, say, thousands of people, digging through race results to look for anomalies is just not part of their job description.
1: Right. If you didn't finish a race, it's easy enough to declare a DNF. But missed timing mats? Uneven split times?
2: It's something overburdened race directors just don't have time to dig into.
1: But Derek enjoys the challenge, digging into results that don't quite fit. So Derek, he turns into a sort of vigilante race investigator.
2: But he'll sometimes go further than just the blog. He's reached out to race directors to alert them to what he's found. In some cases, this has led to that race director disqualifying a runner. In others, it's even caused runners to be banned from an event through life.
1: Now that is power. Yes,
2: yeah, citizen activism for sure. Over time, Derek started to develop a criteria for who gets called a cheater on his blog.
5: In some cases, uh, you know, the blogger had the running website who had sponsors and was getting some travel paid for and whatnot. And those are the ones I'm focusing more on now, you know, ones who get a real tangible benefit, you know, out of the cheating.
1: So taking down bigger names, people profiting from their involvement.
2: Yeah, on the blog, but also he launched another big project where he compiled a list of all the people he deemed fishy qualifiers for Boston 2016.
1: What do you mean by fishy?
2: So these are people kind of like Mike Rossi, who their results show that they may have cut the course during their qualifier Or there's other types. There's um, people who gave their bib to another runner during the qualifying race, and that runner is faster. They're so-called bib mules. Um, Or lastly, to plain old bib swapping. So let's say I qualified for the Boston Marathon and couldn't run it or decided to sell my bib and gave it to you, even though you didn't legitimately qualify.
1: How many people did he find?
2: He found 47 who he believes skirted the rules. Now, that's out of 32,000 people.
1: Uh, that doesn't sound like a lot.
2: Okay, I know. I know it sounds small. But as we said before, Boston is the literal unicorn that a lot of runners chase. And it's getting harder to get in each year. But in the past few years, more people have qualified than there are slots. For the upcoming 2017 race, 2,957 people didn't make the cut, including... I might add, one of our own producers, Brian Dalek. So yeah, 47 people sounds small, but the fact is, they took the slots of 47 legitimate runners.
1: Bumping people like Brian.
2: Exactly, uh, so we veered really far deep into the land of data analysis. After the break, let's talk about the human toll.
1: We explore the people on the other end of Derek's sleuthing, How being publicly outed leads to online harassment, bullying, excommunication from the running community, even for those who never tried to deceive the public.
2: It gets complicated.
1: Stay with us. And we're back, and firmly down the rabbit hole at this point. How did we get here, you ask? Let's recap. It started with one man's letter to his kid's principal gone viral. And that letter had a very real downstream effect that moved far, far beyond a marathon dad and his qualifying race.
2: A year and a half later, it lands us in this beautiful leafy suburb in New Jersey to meet Gia Alvarez at her house. Hi, how are you? Hi. This is Maya, she's completely Hi Maya. She She looks so
0: fierce. Is she a Yorkshire Terrier? She's a Yorkshire Terrier, yep. I have two Yorkies.
1: Gia doesn't know Mike. Her Boston story is not like his, but what happened to Gia never would have happened without him. Gia started running after
0: college. I did a 5K. I remember I was I was living in California at the time. I did a 5K in Venice, and I saw like these moms in strollers were passing me, and I got super competitive about it. <laughs> I had never like I'd never played competitive sports. I didn't even know that was in me. Um, but I loved it, and then I started to... She moved to New York City,
1: did her first marathon, got married. In New York, she joined a running group, hoping to improve and to meet people. About a year later, she took a coaching course and started coaching for some nonprofits, training people to run the New York City Marathon. Running completely changed her experience in New York.
2: What percentage would you say of like your friends and like moving to a new city did you meet through running?
0: I mean, 70%. Even still, some of my very best friends are those ones that I met through running in New York.
1: Gia started her own running club. She called it Geosphere. And she started a blog to address some of the recurring questions that people would ask her about training.
2: At first, she thought it would mostly be her Geosphere crew checking in.
1: And maybe her mom. She wrote about running and also about her life. She talked about her children. She had twins, and her struggles
0: with infertility.
2: How many people were coming into your blog? Would you say, and reading things um, you're posting?
0: Let's see. At its peak, I was at probably twenty five thousand a month.
2: So remember that marathon cheat investigator, Derek, and his spreadsheets. Well, G is twenty five thousand people a month, plus the advertisement that she coached runners. That put a target on her back. She was firmly in that criteria of people who Derek singled out based on the perception that she would benefit financially from a Boston appearance.
1: But to be clear here, Gia did not cut the course to get into Boston. In 2013, Gia was in tip-top physical shape. Boston shape, in fact. Because that year, she qualified for Boston not once, but twice.
2: She got in legally. Her performance at the LA Marathon got her into the 2014 Boston Marathon. Her run at the Chicago Marathon qualified her for the next year's race, too.
1: But then, as the 2014 Boston Marathon neared, she realized she couldn't run it.
0: I mean, I trained for it, for sure, Um, and I would have loved to run it, um, but I had a miscarriage, and I wasn't in the right mental space or body shape to be able to do it at that time.
1: Even though she couldn't run, Gio went to Boston to watch the event she even
0: picked up her race bib.
2: Why did you feel like you needed to pick up your bib?
0: I I worked really hard at it and it was um it like it's hard with with family and twins and life like it's it's a tough, you know, it's a tough ask of your body. I it was so significant for me qualifying.
2: For Gia, there was always next year. Remember she qualified for two consecutive Boston's?
0: After the miscarriage, um, I realized that we definitely wanted a third kid, and we um, went through a series of miscarriages from there.
1: By the time Boston 2015 rolled around, Gia was pregnant again. This time, she did not train for the race. Because of the pregnancy, she had no intention of running it.
2: She wrote to the organization that runs the Boston Marathon, the BAA, to plead her case. She wanted to know... Could she defer her qualification for just one year?
0: Just got back a very generic response saying, you know, please refer to our rules. There's no, there's there's nothing we can do.
1: Up until this point, Gia had done everything by the books. But here, Gia made her first mistake. She gave her bib to a friend who'd qualified for Boston in the past, but had not qualified for the 2015 race. Gia decided if she couldn't run the race, at least someone should.
2: So this is where things get complicated. Gia's friend, she had a great Boston Marathon. In fact, so great that she re-qualified for the race. Which, because she was wearing Gia's race bib, re-qualified Gia for Boston.
1: So what do you do? You'd skip two Bostons you'd qualified for because of a miscarriage and a pregnancy. And then you get another in. She decided to re-register for the race
0: using her friend's time.
2: Why did you decide to re-register?
0: So, I really wanted to run the race. Um, I thought it would be a really great goal right after the pregnancy. Um, the general feeling on it was, oh, well, you've qualified before, you know? And I think, um, in hindsight, I'm talking to people who aren't necessarily runners.
2: So, so you basically pulled people. You were like, the idea being like, how wrong is this? Yeah. Okay.
0: Absolutely. And, um, and the, the feedback was, you know, well, you've qualified before. You weren't able to do it because you were pregnant. It, it did always feel a little wrong, you know, because it, it's not truthful.
1: To be clear here, Gia did not lie to the people who read her blog. She was open about not running the race in 2014 and in 2015. And the miscarriage and pregnancy that stopped her from participating, she talked about that too.
2: Okay, however, when one reader noticed that Gia was training for Boston 2016 without running a qualifier the year before, that reader sent a tip to Marathon Investigation to our our man Derek Murphy.
0: And to the BAA. I very clearly remember it. I had just finished a 16 mile training run in Colorado, um, which was brutal because it was a 10,000 feet elevation. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this marathon. And um, I was, you know, before getting in the car to drive home, I checked my email and there was an email from the BAA that said, you know, we have a anonymous tip that that wasn't you. They had a, photo attached to it, which was like a side-by-side of her finish and my on one of my Instagram photos.
1: The BAA told Gia that she was banned for life, never eligible to run Boston again.
0: I would have expected to be disqualified from the race, but um, a lifetime ban I did not expect. Um, I think it's a little extreme, but I get where they're coming from.
1: Gia had been writing about training for Boston on her blog, and when the BAA banned her from the event... Gia turned to her blog again. She wanted to explain why right before the race, she wasn't going to run it.
2: She titled that post, Why I'm Not Running Boston 2016, a cautionary tale.
0: As I said before, I was unable to run with my bib last year. However, someone did run with that bib. I gave it to a friend. I didn't sell my bib. She didn't pay a dime for it. And I didn't pay her to run with it. I gave it to her with the thought that someone should love the bib. Someone should enjoy the miles that I worked so hard for. It was a stupid thing to do, but I swear it was entirely innocent.
2: Okay, so I want to stop here and say that there are legitimate reasons for why bib swapping is a huge no no. It can screw with race awards, but more importantly, if something happens to a runner during the race, like a medical emergency, the race doesn't have the runner's name or emergency contact.
0: My heart is broken. I'm embarrassed and ashamed. I did what so many of us do. We transfer bibs that are non-transferable. Some even sell them. We think it's innocent. We don't think we will get caught.
2: The first wave of comments were encouraging, but then...
0: They called her a
1: cheater. They questioned how fit she was as a mother. Alarmed... Gia deleted the negative comments, but she also wanted to know where they were coming from. Her blog, up until this point, had been a really supportive community. She found out that the comments were coming from people clicking through to her site from Marathon Investigation, Derek's late night project.
2: The post about Gia that Derek wrote opens with a smiling picture of her from her blog. It also includes excerpts from her blog post about being banned. Gia's explanation of her missed marathons due to miscarriage and a pregnancy, they weren't on there.
5: She seems to be taking responsibility, but I'm left with the impression that she still considers herself the victim of this. The comments that she has allowed on her blog are mostly supportive. The tone of the comments are troubling. Not everyone swaps bibs.
1: This next part, it appears in all caps and in red.
5: Gia used her friend's time as her qualifier for Boston 2016. Gia's last legitimate qualifier was Chicago 2013.
2: The post goes on,
5: Gia, the reason you are not running Boston this year is because you did not qualify to run Boston this year. The reason you will never run Boston is because you attempted to cheat to gain entry. This was not a mistake, and it will not be forgiven by the BAA.
2: Six months later, the post about Gia is still one of the most popular on Marathon Investigation.
1: Gia updated her blog with another apology, this time spelling out that her friend had qualified. And she was planning to use that qualification to run Boston. That post was followed by weeks of
0: outrage from the online community. I had one Instagram post. Our dog passed away. And my kids had drawn like a photo, of, like a, a picture of the dog up in heaven. And it was the sweetest little picture that I posted up there. And somebody commented on that picture, stop being a cheater. And I just like, it just breaks my heart. Like, I can't believe that people are that cold. And I don't. I don't really even, like, want to step into a space where I can set myself up for that right now.
2: Gia hasn't blogged since. If you go to her blog right now, the last post is that second apology. And after all the nasty online comments, she avoided people she knew from the New York running community. Because so many of the posts online were anonymous, she had no idea if the people she knew in real life were the ones that were ripping into her online.
1: I'm so conflicted by this. I mean, I understand that Derek feels like he's doing the sport a service. He's exposing people who are not abiding by the rules.
2: Right. And race organizers just don't have the time or the money to investigate all these cases. From his recliner, Derek is closing this loophole that race cheaters have slipped through for years.
1: He's treating all of his cases of people breaking the rules as equal. The spreadsheet thing, either something is right or wrong. And I mean, I get that for course cutters, but, but Gia's case feels a little less clear. For me, she's in this gray area. She did not lie on her blog about running a race that she didn't. And she qualified for Boston. She qualified twice. I I just, I really sympathize with the reasons that she couldn't run the race. A miscarriage and a pregnancy. I think it's unfair that these reasons weren't weighted more heavily in Derek's assessment, as if they weren't a column in the spreadsheet. And to continue that, the people who went after Gia online seemed to treat her no differently than they would someone who'd, I don't know, hopped in a car to get to the finish.
0: I didn't realize there was that much hate out there or something. Maybe I was naive before, but there was just a piece of me that was disappointed in the community. Running is a very in- inclusive sport. I think we welcome one, you know, come one, come all. You can run whatever pace and still be part of the club. And I love that about running. I think it's it's such a wonderful, social, communal sport. Um, I was a little disappointed in the fact that there were fast to turn on, on one of their own. Oof, I mean, This
1: just kills me, because running is an incredibly inclusive sport, and Boston for as prestigious as it is, it's just a race. Bib swapping isn't murder. For me, outing someone online like Gia, it goes beyond justice. These comments start to tip towards bullying, especially because Gia had posted her apology on her blog before the marathon investigation post went up. She'd already received a lifetime ban from the BAA why the public shaming? Why the pylon?
2: Derek's actually struggled with this. He doesn't want to add to the online bullying or or trolley comments or anything like that. And he's talked about like changing the ethics of who he decides to out and who he doesn't.
5: If you're a running coach and use a Boston qualifier on your list of accomplishments to gain clients and to, you know, get, yeah, then then I have no problem, um, you know, naming them and standing by that. I mean, I, I understand, you know, what the, the mob mentality that, that can happen. So, yeah, I'm cognizant of that. But, again, if you don't cheat, then, you know, then that's, you know, then that wouldn't happen.
2: And there's a bigger picture here. By exposing people who aren't following the rules, Perhaps Derek can show potential cheaters that their actions actually do have consequences. By fearing they'll be publicly exposed, he can cut down on more people cheating than he can catch.
1: No doubt this new wave of marathon investigators is changing the way we police races. Now, a tip from a reader goes to Derek who investigates and then forwards the evidence to the race director.
2: Derek has already gotten at least four people disqualified from Boston 2017. That's how it works now. In the future, the relationship between Marathon Investigation and the races Derek watches may evolve.
1: So where does this leave Gia? I get that cheating at races is bad. I I really do. And people who do it should be caught. But I'd venture to say that Gia did not deserve to be publicly ridiculed after she'd already apologized. After she'd already been banned. Like the founder of Let's Run said...
0: America is a forgiving place.
2: The internet, uh, not so much. But G is optimistic.
0: I kind of hope that they start to look at the human side of who they're talking about. Let's just, just take a step back and look at, it's not a username, it's not a profile, it's a person with a family and a life and children. And you know, I just think that there's a human side to the online community that really needs to be considered when people are commenting.
2: It's a tricky tightrope to walk, but I think it tells us one thing. Runners are passionate. They work really hard to reach a goal. So when they see someone take a shortcut, they'll speak up about it. Sometimes that ends up being good for the sport. Sometimes not.
1: So I guess it comes down to two things. There are people out there like Derek who will catch you if you cheat. So don't. And if someone gets caught, maybe we all take a breath and go for a run before anonymously blasting them online. As for Gia,
2: do you think you'll ever reach out to the BAA like a couple years and say, "Listen, it's been four years. I know what I did was wrong. Can yeah. I run Boston again?"
0: Yeah, I mean, let's see if I qualify first. <laughs> that, that's the big deal here. Um, and if that, you know, if that happens, I definitely will reach out to them. In many ways. Gia
1: is a ripple in the cannonball splash made by the man who started it all. Her story has many parallels to Mike Rossi's. She's also a parent. She, like Mike, had a blog and an active social media presence. Then she, like Mike, was accused of cheating. And that unleashed a vicious mob. So, whatever happened to Mike?
2: So, here's the irony in this whole thing. G was caught and given a punishment, that whole lifetime ban from the Boston Marathon. Technically, Mike is still an innocent man in the eyes of both the BAA and the Via Marathon. In May 2015, the race released a press release stating, there is no conclusive evidence that his time at the 2014 Via Marathon is inaccurate. His results for both races are still public. You can go right now and search them online. A lot of people disagree, but Mike still emphatically denies that he cheated.
1: Wait, so does this mean he could potentially run Boston again if he gets the qualifying time?
2: Absolutely.
1: Well, if he does run the race, it's unlikely that he'll talk about it online.
2: And I wonder if he'll ask his kid's principal for an excused absence this time around.
1: This week's episode was produced by Kit Fox and me, Rachel Swaby. It was edited by David Weinberg. The theme music is by Danny Cock. David Willey is the editor-in-chief of Runner's World and the editor-in-chief of this podcast. Human Race is a proud part of Panoply. If you're interested in learning more about this story, we have pictures and links and more information on our episode show page at runnersworld.com/audio. We will see you again in two weeks.